The Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. You bet you get with Caesar Rewards. Must be 21 or older. Welcome back to the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the hosts thinks organized training activities are where you learn how to heal. That's Lenny. I mean, at times, he doesn't really heal, but he did take classes to learn how to do it. That's Mike Golick Jr. on the other end. I don't know if he heals. Do you know what healing is? Uh, I know what healing is, although it is funny. There are a lot of players who also heal during organized team activities, so it all kind of balances out in the end. But no, I'm usually go. go, go, go. People joke that I think I'm paid by the word. Um, You do have to communicate a lot of words lately uh for those who don't know mike hosts a daily podcast and now show it's gojo mike can you update people on the state of the show yeah so uh we are now live monday through friday 10 to 11 a.m eastern on the DraftKingsNetwork.com. uh and on samsung tv plus you can still get us on youtube wherever you get your podcasts my dad, Mike Golick Sr., hanging out with us a lot more on the day-to-day also. So some very exciting things, some more stuff we're looking forward to towards football season. And uh, that's why coming to get to do this pod is getting me riled up, Mina. I don't know about you. The schedule release, while it's all very overblown and from a player standpoint, guys don't really take stock in too much, it did get me kind of excited to know that football is going to be here sooner than later. Well, I think starting out the gate, and yes, I we're I, I avoided talking schedule release on this podcast, but um, Bills Jets, I think, was a pretty tantalizing opener. And actually, there is some kind of Jets adjacent. It's not really news, but um, Aaron Rodgers is in action. He kind of hurt his ankle. He didn't hurt his ankle. He's fine. I don't know, but. Um, it's appropriate to, I guess, come off that game because we are talking about the AFC this week. I figured we'd start with the AFC East. So last week we did X factors on teams in the NFC. Um, and just as a reminder for me, X factor is non-quarterback, non-coach, a player who could determine the success of the season for each team. Obviously success varies team to team. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Go check it out last week if you guys missed it. Went through the entire NFC with Robert Mays. Today we're going through the AFC. And like like I said, we're, let's start in the East. Let's start with the Jets. I kind of suspect we might have the same answer for it. Well, maybe not the same answer, but the same position. Um. So I, I think I know where you're going on this. And... I had to throughout this exercise because I heard you and Robert talking about part of this is figuring out what success looks like, figuring out relative to what the actual most important part of the team might be, if it is in fact quarterback for some places. And for me, it was figuring out where to use my O-line chips because you know my background. I could find an O-lineman that works for pretty much any of these any of these teams. So I, I think I actually went away from where you were expecting. Who'd you go with here? Oh, okay. So I I wrote Dwayne Brown, but it could be Mekhi Becton. It's kind of just whoever is playing left tackle on this team, um, or starting at left tackle, rather. And I think right now it's Dwayne Brown. Um, 
who is a veteran. He's in his late 30s. He played fine last year. I think he is, you know, a totally competent NFL tackle when he's healthy. He did have shoulder surgery in the spring and I, I will ostensibly be battling for the job with Becton, um, whose status is unclear. We know, you know, obviously his career has been incredibly up and down in New York. He's coming off of multiple serious injuries, missed last season, poorly lost a lot of weight, which has been an issue with him. Um, so, you know, you they, they did add Billy Turner, which I thought was smart for depth, who Rogers, of course, knows from Green Bay. You have Max Mitchell, who had a few starts last year, who I think is starting at right tackle. But part of the reason I picked Dwayne Brown is because this roster is so stacked on both sides of the ball. And it feels like the one thing, and this is not an uncommon view, what I'm saying, that could potentially um, prevent this team from success, which is a playoff run, would be protection for Aaron Rodgers. I agree, and it sort of informed the way I went about this because, again, I didn't want to just have an offensive lineman for every one of these teams. And so I did go Brees Hall just because when you think hmm. of the merger of offenses that Aaron was a part of in the last couple of years of Green Bay, obviously super heavy reliance on the running back room as some of their outside receiver talent waned. He's going to have a lot more of that here, You know, hoping that the Alan Lazard injury is obviously nothing serious, which it sounds like it's not anything long-term. But if you want to help out a an offensive line that's inconsistent, it can't be more of the Mike McCarthy offense that we saw from Aaron at times where we know he wants to drop back, he wants to spread the love and do all that. If you're going to try and help out that group, Brees All, who was on Offensive Rookie of the Year trajectory before the injury last year, seems like a good a good candidate to try and help out that group up front as they try and figure out what that's going to look like. Yeah, Hall's a good one because obviously there's uncertainty about when he's playing, when he's coming back from the injury, what he'll look like coming back from injury. But also there's uncertainty about what this offense is going to look like, right? Like there's the assumption that there's going to be continuity from Rodgers in Green Bay, where, of course, he worked with Nathaniel Hackett. It's going to be an outside zone centric offense. But we also know that a lot of the things that they like to do in Green Bay that helped the running game in terms of the the motion and the misdirection are not things that Rodgers likes to do. Um, so, you know, if you're going to have this outside zone centric offense, you know, Brees Hall is the perfect running back as we saw for that last year, but he has to be healthy. Um, and the depth behind him, it's okay. Uh, you know, it's, um, I, I, I do think like for them to really succeed, you probably would need him. Yeah, I guess that's – and we're talking about high-end output here because this is another one of those teams where when you talk about what is success, we've all clearly beaten this into the ground on the talk shows. Super Bowl or bust, like high-end yeah. playoff team. They're going to need all these things. So to, for them, it's less about the floor and more about what the ceiling looks like. And so, yeah, it's going to be what level of involvement he can have coming off that injury, what kind of output there. Because, again, we expect the receivers to do really well. We expect the defense to largely pick up where they left off last year. And obviously, everyone's buzzing about the Aaron Rodgers influence inside the building. So all of that is there. And so, again, if we're looking for what's success for this team in 2023, that would definitely be a big part of it. Yeah, I guess I should say um, who is the depth behind Brees Hall. It's Donovan Knight and Michael Carter. Both, again, both of whom are fine. 
Uh, and then they drafted a player in the fifth round, Israel Ab- Abinikananda, who I don't know anything about. So, um, yeah, that's that's going to be important. All right, who did you pick for the New England Patriots? For the New England Patriots, and again, so since we're talking about what success looks like for this team, a lot of it is figure out and try and revive Mac Jones. Bill O'Brien coming over would fall into the coach that we can't pick in all of this. So I went Devontae Parker. Like you had Jacoby Myers walk this offseason. You bring in Juju Smith-Schuster, who we know can be a really solid piece for everyone involved, but operated ostensibly like a tight end last year in Kansas City's offense. And so I look and say, if they're going to find some sort of top-end success on this offense and be able to push the ball downfield, it's probably going to have to be him. I just I just think Parker's kind of done. I don't know. I, maybe I'm wrong. Um, it, it would make sense. I mean, it's definitely going to be a, a pass catcher. We can start there. Um, and because I, I was tweeting about this earlier, Patriots' defense is going to be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and success is entirely about the offense. For me, you know, you don't have – I don't think you have like a get-you-a-bucket guy on this offense right now. So I think success is going to be really contingent upon Bill O'Brien and who is the correct answer. It's really Bill O'Brien, I think. Yeah. Um, scheming uh, and I th- I think um, scheming guys open and I think um, sort of Mac Jones – reverting to kind of rookie season what we saw in terms of executing that offense and so for me it was kind of less like okay who's a guy on this team who could break out and be a dude who can win one-on-ones who can consistently separate I just don't think I mean you know Kendrick Bourne has flashed that at times maybe Tyquan Thornton has the speed but I actually ended up going with Juju just because um I think in Bill O'Brien's offense, he's going to be a target monster. So last year, uh, Jacoby Myers had 96 targets on this offense. No wide receiver came close. Hunter Henry was the next closest with 59. And then you had Aguilar, Nelson Aguilar at 53. Um, we have seen Juju top those. He actually had a ton of targets in Kansas City, which was kind of interesting when I was looking them up. But it, obviously in Pittsburgh, um, surpassed that number. Um, we've seen him be have be a reasonable red zone threat, which was a huge problem. This was the worst red zone offense in football last year. They ranked 32nd in red zone efficiency. Um, so I think he's kind of, while I don't, like I'm not forecasting a Juju breakout, you know, Juju back to year two Pittsburgh, where we thought maybe he had the potential to be one of the better, the best wide receivers in the NFL. I think, for this offense to look competent, which is the goal paired with an elite defense, I think that's what success for this team looks like. Juju has to be um, extremely productive. And I think it's possible. No, it's definitely possible. And I mean, listen, they could, you know, we mentioned sort of what went on in Kansas City last year with that revival of bigger packages, bigger personnel groupings there. Like you went and got Mike Gesicki out of the bargain bin to throw into that tight end room after you got rid of Jonu Smith. So there is that thought that with O-line as your strength also, maybe you could get a little bit bigger, go beef in the middle on that, even with your pass catchers. Obviously Gesicki's yeah. not going to help you a ton in the run game, but you know, Austin offsetting that with bigger targets in the middle. Because the other thing, listening to Bill O'Brien talk, like, 
obviously we have large sample size of him from last time in New England, from his time with the Texans, all the stops in college, most recently at Bama. But it's like at Bama, you know, you're piling on top of a system that's been there largely offensively as these good quarterbacks came through. Him and Mac Jones basically high-fived on the way in and out there. So it's it remains to be seen what they're really going to dedicate themselves to. And so that's certainly an area they could do it. So the bills I thought were pretty tricky. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was toggling between a few answers for this one. So a couple names I considered (laughs) such an unnecessary preamble. I considered Spencer Brown Mm -hmm. right tackle because thing that would potentially hold back this offense, in my opinion, would be a problem at the end of last season, which was pass protection. But I still think even if he is what we saw last year, I think the offense will still be explosive. Defense, I was going to pick Von Miller because for me, success for the Bills is getting to the Super Bowl, right? Right. That They are in that tier. And Von Miller, we saw the drop off in the pass rush when he was injured last year. He was supposed to be and still could be the piece that puts them over the edge against very good offenses. However, I just saw Von Miller quote. He was like, yeah, I'm definitely going to start by week six. And I was like, what? I thought thought you were going to start week one. Um, So that would still be a a decent answer to me. But I ended up going with Kyer Elam, Mm. the the second-year corner. Um, And here's why. I think uh, this is an – for me, it matters both in the context of success this year, but also long-term success, which matters for Buffalo, because you're getting to a point where – you start looking at the last few drafts and there's not a lot of hits. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they've drafted a lot of players on defense, pass rushers, some, you know, Rousseau's been okay at times, but like you need these players to start hitting for the roster to stay competitive. And Elam had a tough year last year. You know, obviously Trey Davis, I was injured at the beginning of the year. Um, he like lost the starting job to Christian Benford, who was you know later pick. And then at the end of the year, it kind of felt like he was starting to put it together. And then he had that interception in the playoff game. You remember uh, Skylar Thompson. Mm. Um, and I think it makes sense because the Bills offense is almost, it's a very zone heavy offense. And what I remember from Elam in college is he was a man corner. He's this like long physical corner. So it kind of, made sense that it might have taken some time for him to really get accustomed to playing in the NFL. And so I think if he can, can build on that, what he did last year, and be a very good cornerback, you feel better about the rest of the group, which is, you know, aging a little bit in the secondary. Yeah. That's and a I, very long answer. Well, no, and I think we started to see those cracks show a little bit in the secondary at times last year. Most of that was due to injury, which becomes more prevalent and with age, so... All those things sort of tie together. It makes sense. It's largely why I did pick Von Miller because, again, about the ceiling for next year, no matter when he comes back, and I'm with you, while that is certainly a little bit concerning, it's like the Rams run where the valuable reps are the ones in the postseason for him, and especially in the AFC, knowing it's going to be Kansas City or the Bengals more than likely. It's, yeah, you guys saw off the head of the snake were all those teams, and that young core that we thought, all right, 
part of the benefit for Von Miller is not only on-field production, point of the spear, but also effect on the rest of that room, help those young players take the next step. And I'm with you. So far, we haven't seen that for Epinesa, Greg Rousseau, all those guys in the way that we'd want to. The only other position I contemplated or thought about on offense, just because, and this kind of goes to more of the long-term health for this team, is quite literally long-term physical help for Josh Allen and figuring out what a consistent answer is at running back after last year, since production-wise it seemed like so much at the end of the season was, hey, if Josh Allen can't get it done himself and go out there and be the bowling ball, then you were really going to kind of have a tough time. And so you've got, you know, you've got Cook there still. I think they went out and signed Latavius Murray, which had a really good season last year in Denver also, but despite nothing on that offense really working right. So I do think there's some important- Well, Damian Harris. Or Damian Harris, sorry. I, uh, yeah. I had, yeah. I had Latavius Murray He should be the else. real, like, he should carry the brunt of that physical load carrying the football, right? Like yeah. that, I mean, that's a dude who can really, um, I think, uh, address what you're talking about, which is like, you don't want every- you don't want break in cases of urgency to be Josh Allen QB draw in every game in the fourth quarter. Um, and having a running back like him who can create on his own, I think will be definitely meaningful. Yeah. Um, yeah. Vaughn's an interesting one too, because you know, like he's come back from injury before and he's such a technician that if there's a guy who I think would be able to, you know, and his physical skill set is so unique, but I do want to see it. Um, you know, he's already a Hall of Famer to me, but if they're able, I mean, to, if he was, I mean, consider what it would mean if this team actually does win a Super Bowl. I, I, I thought about this a little bit last year for Von Miller to have, you know, to uh, on a, a third team to be a closer that way. That would be a pretty unimpeachable, and if I mean he already has an unimpeachable legacy in my opinion, but like that would really rank him amongst, put him in some very rarefied air as a pass rusher. Yeah, I mean that's the kind of stuff we see out of NBA players that are able to go and affect the game like that, and for a guy to do that into his mid thirties, like you said, like physical skill size and the skill set wise, and the way it's supposed to depreciate as you get older, like. He's like a LeBron James type where, yes, he's a technician, but so much of his skill set was predicated on the bend, the threat with the first step, all these things that even if they're slightly diminished, the value of having to account for Von Miller and the fact that as a pass rusher, you only got to get one or two of those a game that really hit to create the credible threat that eases the job for everyone else. So yeah, it it would be, again, his Hall of Fame speech is already going to be incredible for a number of reasons, but this would just add another layer to it. (laughs) Okay, so who do you have for the Miami Dolphins? So the Miami Dolphins were really interesting to think about, um, especially, you know, offensively, we know, again, this is one of those teams where the glaring red sirens going off, our man two has got to stay healthy, all the things associated with that. But the offense can really hum. The defense is kind of where I went on this, Hmm. just because I think that, with Vic Fangio coming over some of the moves they made and with some of the questions about health at the quarterback on offense, I do think, yeah, they got speed to burn. It puts a unique threat on that other side of the ball. And so I went with Christian Wilkins up front, just how he's going to integrate in this scheme. Now, since Vic's coming over, we imagine they're going to move to 
I mean, basically one of the most drastic schematic changes in the NFL year to year, considering how much single high blitz, yeah. like blitz heavy, all the things Miami was last year are the antithesis of Vic Fangio's defense. And one of the things that stuck out among many about Miami last year was Christian Wilkins, how dominant he was, especially getting into the backfield, the tackle total numbers for a guy playing on the interior defensive line. He was a huge threat. And now, you know, instead of being a part of the scheme that I get they were technically two gappers last year in Miami, but so much of the blitzing just lets you turn and burn and get upfield. He's still going to have some opportunities for that, but that defense now is tasked with saying, all right, we want to allocate more yeah. resources towards the back end, so we need the guys in the box to be able to go to work on this. And Christian Wilkins doing the gap and a half stuff that we've seen out of Vic's defenses in Denver and prior stops it's going to be interesting just because I feel like we saw him really hitting a crescendo last year. And now with this scheme change, can he maintain that and be one of the guys that helps them occupy the box stuff so that Jalen Ramsey in the back end can do all the things that we want to see. That is a great point. Um, because like you said, it is a dramatic <laughs> scheme change and they've added players like, you know, David Long Jr. Linebacker Ramsey, who we've seen, like we're, I think we're all pretty confident, you know, we'll be, we'll fit into that well. There's a lot of players on this defense that already, it makes a ton of sense. Uh, I would say the edge rushers, you know, I, I'm like, oh yeah, this is going to be great for them. But it's a different job for Wilkins, who's been excellent. Um, and I think is that he has the kind of complete skill set you need to play that role up front for in, in, in that light box world. But, um, it's it, it's going like a lot. We've seen these defenses rise and fall based on whether teams have that defensive tackle, that three tech, you know what I mean? And like, so yeah, it's a lot of, it's, um it's a lot of pressure on him. I still went offensive line and I went with Teron Armstead. Um, so I, this, I, this kind of surprised me. I so I went I, I I went to pull the Dolphins splits with and without Armstead, who missed you know one two three six, six games last year. It looks like, um, and it's a very noisy uh, data set because those games almost perfectly aligned with the games Tua missed. Um, which I think is a really underappreciated uh, reason for why the offense struggled. It wasn't just the, you know, well, not only did like, it was like Teddy never played like a complete game. It was all like a mess, but, and, and they played really good defenses and all that matters. And two was the perfect operator for that offense, but they didn't have Armstead for the Jets. He got hurt in that game. The Vikings, he got hurt in the Houston game, which by the way, he goes out to get sacked like four mm -hmm. times. And that's the game where he got hurt. The Niners, the Pats, the Jets, like it, it almost coincided perfectly. Um, so, you know, again, there's a lot of reasons why the offense went off a cliff and quarterback is number one, but with and without Armstead, uh, with they were, had a EPA per play of 0.12 without it was negative 0.12, uh, again, quarterback huge but I just wanted that this is not insignificant uh one split I thought was really fascinating uh in the run game running to the left side you know his left tackle uh they dropped off a half a yard per carry without him like 
he is a very, very good and very, very important left tackle. And while I do think the Isaiah Wynn signing was really great and gives them depth if they want to move Jackson or Eichenberg or whatever, there's a bunch of guys who could play different positions. This offense is a buzzsaw with Teron Armstead, and without it, I do have questions. Teron's one of the freakiest athletes I've ever seen in person. And what you talk about, like that combination of a guy with a unique physical skill set, but also the mental approach to the game and the effect that he has on the room. Like he was brought over there to do Von Miller type things for that offense too. So from a leadership standpoint, what he brought there, like obviously there are a few people with the physical gifts that he has, but his approach to it the exact same way. Like he's one of the guys, they do the O-line masterminds uh, summit every year that Duke Mannyweather and Lane Johnson and those guys put on. And Teron's almost always one of the guys leading a session about how you go out there and diagnose pass rushers, study them, figure out your approach to everything. And so that kind of thing not only has an effect with him on the field, but like that's pervasive. Knowing you got a dog is, I mean, we're watching the NBA playoffs with Jimmy Butler right now. Knowing you got the dude that's going to go out there and be able to get it done is such a relief for everyone else as a former very average offensive lineman who got to play with a future Hall of Famer, like you you can undersell that stuff. We don't have any of the same answers so far. I know. I have a feeling I have so many offensive linemen in the AFC. I feel like we're gonna hit it some point. Oh, we definitely are. Mina, I, I would have picked offensive line for so many of these. I was trying to like check my biases. So yeah. we'll we'll meet in the middle on plenty of these. You can you can you can call. You can change it on the fly. Um okay let's do the AFC South next. Speaking of offensive linemen, but let's start with – I didn't pick offensive line for this team. You there, you definitely could, though. Let's do the Jaguars. Um, so I didn't – I thought about offensive line, put a pin in that. I just think the offense will be fine, though. It's the defense. Yep. So, so for, let's start with success. The Jaguars won a playoff yep. game. They won their division. So that's not success anymore. Success is a playoff run. And – for me, the single biggest limiting factor for this team is the defense, which, by the way, basically just ran it back. Like, I was looking yeah. at the Jags depth chart, and, you know, there's a couple changes here and there. But, like, it's the same defense for the most part. And this is a defense that finished 30th in DVOA against the pass. At times, you saw improvements down the stretch changes, tweaks, and I think there's a few different players you could pick who need to take a leap, Trevon Walker being one. But I went with Tyson Campbell, mm. uh, the cornerback, who, and part of the reason I picked him is because the Jags' defense really struggled against number one wide receivers in particular. They are 30th in DVA. But part of the reason I picked him is because I think he can be good. Um, there were games last year where you really saw why he was drafted so high. And especially once when they moved, um, when Shaq Griffin got hurt and they moved Darius Williams back outside, there were games where they looked like, um, a pretty solid pairing at corner. Um, but you know, they, they're going to need more consistent play out of that secondary. And he jumped out to me as a player who could make the leap this year. And if he does make the leap would really help this defense play at least average. 
Yeah, I, I agree. And the things are married together. So you said the name that I was going to go with and Trevon Walker, like, and that's mostly because of the draft yeah. capital thing. Like when you draft, yes. when you draft the guy at number Valid. one overall, and he's got those kind of traits, like one, one, one slash one, it, it's got to be there. And for this team, especially like you could see the signs trending that way. I think they were fifth in QB hits. They did a decent job pressuring, which we know tend to be better indicators, but at some point you got to finish the job and they're 26th in the league in sacks. And we really didn't see a lot of consistent production from here. You could argue started to put it together a little more at the end of the season. You'd see flashes of the ability, but we know he's raw. We know all the things that are kind of becoming the common buzzwords around some of the Georgia prospects that come out of a defense where no one guy is asked to be the guy. You got to start being the dude because the Kalevon chase on experiment didn't pan out that way. So it's, it's time for him to step up and start to show he's the guy this season. And like we talked about with Buffalo that satisfies this year and long-term definitely for this defense. Walker's probably the right answer because I mean, that's, He's the number one overall pick, and he's got both for the short and the long term. He has to play like it because this is a defensive front that was really, um, really fun to watch. Really, in berserkers is how I would describe them. You know, just the games they were running at the end. Same defensive coordinator, Mike Caldwell. Um, but um, they lost Arden Key, who gave them that inside outside versatility that ostensibly Walker could also give them uh it's certainly what he's capable of um but he has to get to the quarterback at a higher level and if if he does compare paired with Josh Allen who continues to be great this defense past defense should take a leap forward regardless of what's happening behind them although there's you know I have question marks about that too so I'm gonna switch you're right Walker's the right answer okay who do you have for the Colts? All right. Yeah. We went beef on this one here. Bernard Raymond's got to so, be the dude. Like, same answer. It's, yes. It, it, and especially because we know what is success for the Indianapolis Colts. It's making Anthony Richardson nice and comfy, cozy in that offense. We know mm-hmm. Shane Steichen's going to come over and run a lot of the stuff that we think can work really well that worked in Philly, that can work with that kind of quarterback at the helm of an offense that makes use with him as a passer. But man alive like it was a rough year and listen I'm sympathetic so Bernard gave up nine sacks last year was tied for seventh most in the NFL he's a guy that had played offensive line for two years leading up to this like for anyone unfamiliar he was one of the Patriot uh, one of the players that came from overseas at Central Michigan started off as a tight end and had my favorite phenomenon happen that shows that being big is the best if you go back look at every year of his headshots for their media guide as he gets bigger the smile on his face also grows and he's an exceptional (laughs) athlete he's a better technician than he had any right to be coming out of college considering his background in the sport but he got to the NFL game and life was different and that also had to do with the fact that I think across the board, like Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, all of those guys, it's got to be the unit there. And you've got some new blood in there coaching staff-wise, and you're going to have maybe a a chance to kind of reinvigorate that. But there's no question, left tackle was a defined weakness for that offensive line. And if you're going to protect a rookie, this guy's going to have to start to hit some of that development that comes with, all right, going into my second year in the league, having a full dedicated offseason, and then making sure that I'm internalizing the coaching as a guy who's only been doing this three years now. 
what he's going to be asked to do this year is also just going to be so different. Mm -hmm. Like this offense is going to look so different. And I think there's potential for the scheme and the quarterback to help the offensive line. Now having a dual threat quarterback doesn't, it's funny. I think there's sometimes a misconception that like if a quarterback can scramble, it's really great for the offensive line. And that's not actually true. Like, um, you know, ask Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson's offensive lines for some of those years. Like it can be very, very challenging, but I mean more in terms of the run game, the RPO game, um, you know, essentially if it is as efficient as we expect it to be, I think you might see a kind of cascading effect across the line, not just Raymond, but you talked about some of those players on the Colts who have been so good in the past, but seem to decline. I think there's a way to reverse some of that. And yeah, but Raymond is the one uh, where because of his inexperience, it was always going to be a tough start. And, you know, that would maybe look better as the year went on and it did a little bit. So that's, that's, I think that's the one because for the Colts, it's all about the offense and Anthony Richardson. Um, yeah. So for the Texans, I have Will Anderson. Yeah. I, I mean, this is both function, like competence in the short term, which is the goal, but also just given the mother load of draft capital you gave up for him, he has to look good. I mean, uh, you know, I've talked about the trade in the past and, and how much it is. I would argue, Mike, there's more pressure on him. And, you know, I've rejected the think of them together <laughs> argument than CJ Stroud to look decent from the jump. Well, I was going to ask, because I think this has become the question that I've gotten from a lot of people is what does good enough look like for Will Anderson this year? Like, does it have to be a double digit sack season for this guy to justify the picks you gave up? And like, if you were to, if you were yes. to set the over under at like nine and a half, that would probably have to be it, right? It would have to be 10 plus sacks this season to justify the pick. I mean, it would have to be more than frankly to judge and this is what i feel bad because this shouldn't be this kind of pressure on him and 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 i think there's two things here there's justify the pick and be good and and be good enough for this offense sure. or defense pardon me totally different things to justify the pick he has to be nick bosa who had 14 sacks yeah. as a rookie nick bosa in 2019 also uh, this was from pff i just looked at, had 68 hurries which is the most in the nfl <laughs> uh that's the pick now, to be a good player, to be defensive rookie of the year, he doesn't have to get to that number, I think, over nine and a half, whatever. You feel good about him. You feel good about the defense. But totally different conversation. This is why it gets so tricky when you talk about like draft value. and Because you're, you're not just thinking about him. You're thinking about what else you could have done with those picks, yep. the things you could have done for the roster, whatever. Um, so I don't think he has to be Nick Bosa for this season to be a success. The draft... The move is a totally separate thing. Now, I also want to add, I think he can be really good because, you know, I was looking at this. Um, I think he's a really good fit for what D'Amico Ryans wants to do up front. And in my head, I was like, oh, God, he's 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 on his own. But then when I was looking at the defensive line, they signed Sheldon Rankins. Mm -hmm. I think um, that's uh, on the interior. The ageless Jerry Hughes uh, is a great guy <laughs> to have rushing opposite you. Um, you know, there's, I have questions about this Texas defense linebacker, but I think the defensive line should be able to produce. 
I would agree. And again, like, while I don't think he's as complete a player coming out as any of the Bosa's were, he's still a guy that did have otherworldly productions. Like one of the best college pass rushing seasons, tackle for loss seasons the year before last that we've seen in quite some time. So there is that there. He's a ruthlessly efficient player. He's going to show up for you in the run game very early on too. Like in almost the way that like we, you know, the weird conversation around Jadevian Clowney long-term, but the one thing you could always point back to is like, dude was going to show up for you and impact the run game there. I I think you're going to get the best of both. Even if I don't think that right away, Will Anderson Jr. is the most complete pass rusher you've ever seen. He's a really smart player. He's used to having a ton of attention thrown his way. I know this last year when Dallas Turner was opposite him, you had some stuff at Bama, but in general, he was the main show in town. So there's all those things why I think in a vacuum, he's a really good pick, but you're right. Unfortunately, this thing is burdened by all the capital that's saddled with him. Did you pick him too? I did. Yeah, I did. I picked him too. He's he's the obvious answer for this team. Yeah. Okay, uh, final team in the AFC South. <laughs> this is a really c- tricky one because I it's very hard to define success for them. Who did you have for the Tennessee Titans? I went Traylon Burks just because, you know, I understand yeah. like off. this is another place. Offensive line could absolutely be there because I think success for them is setting the foundation that Will Levis is likely going to take over and creating a healthy yeah. environment there. But this was a team that just had nothing post-A.J. Brown last year. And for them, Traylon Burks was kind of supposed to be the guy, disappointing rookie year, some of the conditioning questions, the stuff around the asthma, the games missed there, that he seems to uh, have worked really hard at trying to address this offseason. He talked about being around the building. And so Tim Kelly supposedly coming in and simplifying a lot of stuff, making it quicker, easily digestible stuff. And so I think just – creating some sort of consistent target, especially in the middle of the field for this team is going to be important as we likely see the transition to Will Levis. I'd imagine at some point this year. Yeah, I, I had, I figured it would be either Burks or one of the offensive linemen. I went with Skaronsky yep. um, for entirely similar reasons. The, the, the funny thing about the Titans is the defense is probably going to be good. Mm-hmm. So it's a tricky and it's Mike Vrabel, so they'll probably win a lot of games, even though the offense is could be really bad. Um, but in terms of a functional offense, setting the table for the rookie quarterback at some point, keeping Ryan Tannehill from just, you know, melting, um, the offensive line has to be a little bit better than last year. I mean – and that you could pick Dillard, Donner Dillard, they signed to play left tackle for that ah. reason. But I, I have a strong suspicion that's going to be a one-year thing. And Skaronsky's, I mean, right now it's Andre Dillard, Peter Skaronsky, Aaron Brewer, Daniel Brunskill, Brunskill Nicholas Petit-Frere. Yeah, it's uh, and again, Petit Freer is a young guy who you know could still continue to develop there. And you're probably right about Diller. Like at this point, I think we kind of know for the most part what he is. Although to be fair, boxed out of one of the best offensive lines in you know the yeah. league in Philadelphia, but you know just never seemed to put it together coming out of Wazoo in the way that we all wanted. So Scrancy's probably the good answer because he's your foundation, especially like if, if you are kicking him inside to guard. I think could be really good pretty quick. Like that's a harder transition than. And I think we make it out to be for most. And I think he's got the physical makeup, 
the way his game operates, I think will work well in the interior. So it's all kind of there. I, 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 I want to add too. I kind of liked what we saw from Burks last year. Um, when he was, you know, he was injured, so he didn't play a lot and they didn't really, it was like almost entirely crossers off of play action. Yeah. But I think if you can kind of, if he can continue, he looked good with the ball in his hands. Um, if he can continue to develop his route tree, I think he could, I, he could be, I think a number one wide receiver for this team. So that's a good answer too. All right, let's take a quick break. Come back. Talk about the other two divisions. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace, all this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, register using code OMAHAFULL, and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great, keep those winnings. But if you lose, you'll get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and older only, offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 plus wagers only. Must register with an eligible promo code. Bet's amount of qualifying wager returned only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to the account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See Caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER. That's 1-800-426-2537. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Okay, we're back. I'm wearing a... By the way, if you guys uh, don't know, the podcast is on YouTube. Check it out. Just search my name. You'll find it. And I'm wearing a Washington Huskies back-to-back Rose Bowl t-shirt from Homefield. Thanks, Homefield. Um, and we were just talking about how excited I am for the upcoming college football season. Uh, all right. Speaking of offenses that I enjoy watching, let's start with the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, you went first last time. We're doing the AFC West. I'll go first here. I am picking so many freaking offensive linemen, but whatever. Yeah. My pick for the player who could swing the season of the Kansas City Chiefs, who's not a quarterback, is Donovan Smith. Because if there's one thing I have learned about this Kansas City Chiefs dynasty, is that the only thing that can stop Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes on his back. I don't care who's catching the football. I don't care who's running the football. I don't care about any of it. All I care about is that he is protected more than he was, you know, in the, in the Bucks Super Bowl. And this is the biggest change on the Chiefs roster, man. This offensive line got shuffled. Uh, Orlando Brown Jr. out. 
Dovin Smith in. Juwan Taylor, who we thought was going to be left tackle, is going to play right tackle, which makes sense. But Donovan Smith really struggled last year. Uh, most famously being the most penalized left tackle yeah. in football. Now, he was playing next to a pretty dubious cast of characters in Tampa. Uh, now he gets to play next to Joe, Thun- Joe Tooney, uh, Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith, which is maybe the best interior in football next to Philly. So what do you think about his prospects in Kansas City and also his importance to the success of the season, which is, of course, Super Bowl? Yeah, it's 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 massive. And you're right. And Orlando Brown Jr. did a very good job. I think underperformed a little bit relative to my expectation because he's still a guy that's like turning a barge in space sometimes. So there was plenty of pressure and plenty of help that ended up going over to that side. But I think, I mean, there's so much stuff built into that offense that helps him, especially with how much 12 and 13 they did last year. I think they ran more snaps of 13 last year than they had in the three years prior of Mahomes. So all that stuff helps him more adherence to wide zone principles help him because in general the offense is going to put more on your plate stress pass protection wise than anything he got in Tampa because of how they're structured but I think there's enough there to help him overcome and like you said the offensive line like having one really bad guy I shouldn't say really bad but having one guy who struggles when you've got the rest of the unit that I think can do really well and Juwan Taylor like Played better ball last year is walking into a great situation where I think they're going to get the best ball out of him that we've seen in his NFL career so far. I think they'll be able to overcome it, but it's an understandable worry and a great pick. Well, I like what you said about the Chiefs offense helping him, not just the players on the line, but scheme and really the evolution of this Chiefs offense. Like we are not, he is not being dropped. So Donovan Smith played his best football in front of Tom Brady when Tom Brady was pew pewing his way, you know, pew pew pew. Um, it's a lot easier when you're not asked to <laughs> to block for more than 2.3 seconds. Patrick Mahomes was getting that ball out quick mm-hmm. last season. Um, and you know, so he's not being asked to get in there and block him on like, you know, a, a, a large number of these longer developing plays we would see at times with the Chiefs offense in different iterations. So there's ways they can help him as well. Did you also have Donovan Smith? I didn't. I actually went with Chris Jones, like mm, just because really? high end, high end for this team. Like the seasons where they struggled in the postseason are seasons where I think a lot of defensively their pass rush didn't show up. We know this last year, Chris Jones famously got his first postseason sack and notched two of them in that yeah. Bengals game. But I know he's asking for even more money right now and probably going to walk into training camp with it somewhere in the Jeffrey Simmons range, just below Aaron Donald, and. To that point, like everything they do on the defensive side of the ball, we know with Spags is obviously predicated on fast, aggressive, send bodies, do all that. But it's predicated on in big moments, those guys showing up and 15 and a half sacks later last year. I thought Chris Jones, as much as anything in the way the AFC structured, like if they're going to win on the high end, what I look at on that side of the ball. Yeah, there's a bunch of other important pieces, but to me, he's still the most important one. I think the case for two Chris Jones is like, you know, He's amazing, but can he continue to be, to take over games in the playoffs the way he has? I mean, you know, he's in his 30s now. I don't know how old he is, I think early 30s. But um, if he were to drop off, that would be potentially disastrous for this defense because 
um, you know, uh, they did draft. I mean, I think the pass, if he continues to play at a high level, I think his pass rush could be good. Carl Loftus, another year. Um, the K-State kid they drafted, I think, could oh. be a potential contributor. Yeah, I like I like him a lot. Anya DK Izama is a really, really good player. That just rolled off your tongue. I got to get there. Um, but yeah, like Super Bowl, you, you you don't win a Super Bowl unless Chris Jones takes over a game or two. So, By the um, way, Chris Chris yeah. Jones, 28 years old. So not as old as I, as I thought, at least. He's only 28? So, yeah. Oh, shoot. Okay, he's not dropping off. He'll be fine. <laughs> I, Welcome um, to hell, AFC West. <laughs> I, uh, one of my... Uh, kind of simmering takes is that I think this chief's defense could be really good. Um, yeah, I it's so they're a group that I talked about this on the athletic football show. That's going to come out at some point. Um, so before the Super Bowl, I remember, you know, that we were like, Oh, the Eagles defense is great. And she's defense, eh, you know, but then when you, when I pulled their splits and this like post by, they were a top five to 10 unit in just about every regard, particularly past defense. They were getting to the quarterback at a really high rate. And it made sense because they have a really good defensive coordinator and C. Sagnolo, but they had so many young players yes. who were kind of figuring it out as they got, as the year went on. And of course, the secondary was incredibly young. Um, linebackers, young, hadn't played together a lot. And like, I really think it's possible that. This group, which is, you know, there's been Thornhill's gone, um, but I still, I think they could be really, Frank Clark's gone. I think they could be a really, really good defense and like take a lot of people by surprise. Um, and if, man, if they are. <laughs> they, they did, they've done, and the Chiefs get a lot of credit, I think rightly for a lot of things, but as we talked about Buffalo and the challenge ahead of them yeah. of trying to get younger in certain spots, like you think about what the Chiefs have done shifting entire offensive line identity, shifting entire secondary identity, including like letting Tyron, getting Tyron Matthew out of there as a leader and what he was in that building was because of age, understandable in some regards, but there was some risk associated with that when they brought Reed over and the youth of the rest of the secondary. And the fact that they've hit on so many parts of that is just, you know, Brett Veach, take a bow, another, you know, GM in this league who just does a masterclass job almost every year. I would contend that the Bills and the Bengals, who are about to pay their quarterback, basically have to replicate what we mm -hmm. saw at the end of last year from the Chiefs defense. We're going to talk about the Bengals, and this will come up. But not for we're still in the AFC West. Uh, this is a very hard team. The Raiders. Who'd you pick for the Raiders? Yeah, boy, the Raiders. Uh, there were a lot of options here. I sort of... Man... I just there's part of me and I, I I'm still kind of waffling now on the pick because there's part of me that just says the defense has so much to fix. I can't expect success involving them being very good. But at the same time, you paid Chandler Jones a lot of money and it didn't feel like the production matched it last year. You know, Max is great on the other side, but I, I'm tempted to go there. It was that or honestly maybe this is some of the Homer pick in there too, but Michael Mayer coming in in an offense that we know is going to try and do and replicate yeah. the Patriot stuff that 
is also going to fill the Darren Waller size hole that even with the injury stuff there was an important part of when that offense was at its best for a while in prior regimes. So I'll probably go Chandler Jones, but Michael Mayer was right there for me. Also, just because I think he has the case and the potential to be a real difference maker there, despite where he fell in the draft. The Raiders are really confusing because I'm not quite sure how to define success for this team. Yeah. Um, don't think this is a team or a roster that uh, fans may disagree that has to make the playoffs, but you want to at least feel like you're headed in the right direction. And in some ways, Mike, Michael Mayer is a good stand in for the coach because if he yeah. is productive, it means that Josh McDaniels offense is working. Um, so I don't hate that for that reason. I think, you want to look competent. This is not a tanking team. And so you could definitely go with Jones. You could go with Tyree Wilson, who was their draft pick this year to get after the quarterback. This is a pass defense that's been pretty appalling for several years now and has not really shown signs of improvement. I mean, I went secondary, because, oh my God, the secondary. Um, <laughs> they allowed the second highest QBR in football last year, and they didn't add much. They did add a player who I like. <laughs> this is such a stupid answer on my part, but I like Duke Shelley. I thought he was really good for Minnesota last year. Um, he allowed... He was the best of the cornerbacks in terms of the CPOE. He allowed he allowed the best pass, lowest passer rating, fifty five. He just he he's like a playmaker, even though he's five foot nine. But the group right now is Dave, Duke Shelley, David Long Jr., and Nate Hobbs, who was flashed at times in the slot. But it's pretty rough, man. I don't know. It's probably a bad answer. It should. Pro- I guess I'll go with Tyree Wilson because I think. You want to feel kind of like, hey, maybe he can improve the past even short defense in the term and then long term, you need him to be good. But very confusing team. Yeah, you said it. There's really no answer for this team. Like, I just for kicks, I text our buddy Jason Fitz, who's the biggest Raider fan I know. And I asked him, I was like, what does success look like for you guys this year? Yeah. And he goes, honestly, competitive on offense and the defense showing anything. But basically between six or eight wins feels like it would be a godsend for them this season. And I think honestly for McDaniels, part of this is also, I think like you said, success has to be on offense since your head coach's background is on offense. Like if you can't have something to hang your hat on, then there's really going to be a bleak outlook at the end of the season. So chargers success is not blowing a playoff game. It's winning a playoff game. Um, Okay, so I was really tempted to pick Mike Williams because I was playing with splits from last season and their offense numbers with and without him were pretty dramatic. The The thing that really jumped out was Justin Herbert's QBR versus man coverage with Mike Williams was 79, which is very good. Without, it dropped over 20 points. So they did not have another dude on that roster. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Keenan Allen was missing for some of those games, but sure. I think he's not really a, a man coverage beater that you can count on at this point. So, but the reason I didn't was because they drafted Quentin Johnson. So there's now kind of some depth there. For me, it's going to be Joey Bosa. And this is a health one, right? Where 
Um, I just don't think this defense will be good if Joey Bose is not healthy the entire year. It's a defense that um, kind of put it all together at the end of the last season despite his absence at points. So it was really well coached. I think figured some things out. Like Michael Davis, really good at a corner. And there's there, there's question marks elsewhere on the roster, but I just think, you know, pass rush wise, even though they added a little bit of depth there, you need Bosa to be Bosa. Otherwise, this is not going to be a very good defense. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a great pick. And it's kind of the similar theme to where I'm going to go because it's one of your pillars that addresses the issues that reside in the haunted house, as you famously described this, or buying a house where someone's been murdered in, is you're trying to get rid of the ghosts. And it's been your key players being injured at the worst possible points. And to me, historically, when I think of the Chargers, it's O-line. So I went Rashawn Slater coming back from the torn biceps and just how like so many times and I understand the offensive coordinator was going to take a beating rightly because there were so many things we felt like got left on the table but man I was in person for that game against the Dolphins out in Los Angeles late in the year and it seems like they were calling plays like do you remember the it was like the Sam Bradford era Vikings where every drop back was just a jailbreak and they were trying to figure out ways to get the ball out of his hand as soon as possible there were times it felt like that for Justin Herbert last year because of that group and how they had to get shuffled around. And I just think he's such a huge part of that. Like obviously him and Zion are your young sort of investments in that group. Corey Lindsley, when he's been healthy, has played at a pro bowl level for the last couple of seasons. And so I just think steadying that as you make the transition over to Kellen Moore's offense too. And what we know that entails from his time in Dallas, you you can debate how much of that was Mike McCarthy infused, but they were an offensive line based outfit during their best days. And for Dallas, we know that was Tyron Smith and what he solidified for that group at left tackle that we also saw take a hit when he was injured until they were able to get healthier and get younger there this year on that team. I just think so much of the basis of this, you know, Austin Eckler, they worked that situation out. And so he's still going to be a part of this offensive attack. And I think Rashawn Slater might just be a proxy for that offensive line being healthy and having that group they've invested in all out in the field together. It's a really good pick and a good point. And I think something that they would probably note inside the building, the Chargers took a lot of heat. Joe Lombardi took a lot of heat correctly for the fact they wouldn't push the ball down the field. But I think in the building, they would say, well, with what time, you know? Right. Um, Now, again, I, I still think, that there are things that they could have done to make that offense more explosive in terms of putting Herbert on the move, for example. And it was still like relentlessly dink and dunk, but um, a lot of it was blocking. And, and and the other problem the Chargers had outside of their lack of explosiveness was they just simply could not run the ball on first down. And this was an issue all season long, uh, bottom five team in terms of their rushing efficiency on first down. And, Ultimately, you could argue this is why they blew it in the playoffs. I mean, there's a number of reasons why, but they could not run the ball with a lead in that game. Austin uh, Eckler, or in, well, the combined Chargers running backs, I remember, averaged less than two yards per carry when they ran the ball on first down in that game. Uh, so they, they have to be able to get into second and manageable, uh, and getting Slater back will certainly help in that regard. All right. Um, who do you have for the Denver Broncos? Uh, I went O-line here, too. It's money and the need. I, I went Mike McGlinchey. I went like, Mike McGlinchey here, too, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, 
you pay the you pay the guy what is it eighty seven and a half million dollars coming over and we know and, and you brought this up earlier when we were talking about time to throw for quarterbacks and the give and take on that as far as what it does for a group Russell Wilson's time to throw last year I believe was just under three seconds he was tied for sixth longest with like Kenny Pickett so running for his life, but also in a way that didn't necessarily help the group in front of him. And we know with Sean Payton and what they're going to try and do to revive this offense, while we think of Drew Brees in the, in the shotgun, like 23 paint was their go-to play call in the past game. Drew Brees basically got to sit back, tell the offensive line exactly where they were going, like paint was who he would ID or whatever, and they would go. But the basis of the whole thing was, and we saw this especially, I think, in the late Payton Saints, was – that offensive line that they had once you had Armstead and Ramchek there and having the bookends and that strong unit makes everything else go on that team. So they've got Zach Streif there who was Sean's right tackle in New Orleans for about a decade next to Jari Evans. Zach's there as the offensive line coach. So a perfect person Hmm. to kind of uh, introduce Mike McGlinchey to what the expectations are and how to go about operating in this offense, especially at that right tackle spot. The dissolution of the offensive line last year in Denver was a very underappreciated um, factor behind the dissolution of the offense. And look, it's not, I'm not exonerating Russell Wilson. Like, even when he was clean, he looked bad, but it was a problem, both in the run and the pass game. That's one of those two things. Like, that's why I bring up Streif, because that's a coaching thing. Like, letting Mike Munchak walk out of the building when you made that coaching change was a big deal. There aren't that many offensive line coaches that are legitimate difference makers wherever they are. And you go back to Munch's time in Pittsburgh before that, like, he's one of the guys that can vastly improve your situation. And I remember getting texts from people that were Broncos fans when that happened. They're like, should we be concerned about this? And the answer was Mm -hmm. yes, and that ended up bearing out. Well, and they, they gave Mike McGlinchey a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Um, they also paid Ben Powers. Like everything the Broncos did this offseason told us they want to run the football. Uh, traded for Adam Troutman, who's more of a you know a block, I think can be useful for them as a blocking tight end. I still think Greg Dulcich is going to get his. But um, it starts with McGlinchey. And uh, yeah, just from investment, need, what this offense is going to look like. It's going to be very, very hard without – uh, improved offensive line play. All right. I don't think I have that. Oh, I have one more offensive line. Then. The AFC North. The Ravens. I'll go first. All right. Maybe I'm overconfident, but I think the offense is going to be fine. I think they're going to be more than fine. Um, the player that I chose is on the defense, and it is Odafe Owe, who... So, the really, the... Biggest question mark on this team. The only like glaring question mark now is pass rush, as it has been. Um, last year, Justin Houston led the team in sacks. Away was a distant second. Or, or I don't know if he was second, but he was distant. <laughs> um, you know, he was a first-round draft pick who has flashed at times some of the athleticism and potential we saw in college. He was kind of raw coming into the NFL. But even if they add a veteran, I assume they will. There's still a bunch of veteran pass rushers out there. Him or David Ojabo, who was coming up from the Achilles last year and played a little bit at the end of the season. But I'll stick with Owe. But one of them has to put it together. Now, you know, the Ravens defense, um, 
was extremely good last season. And a lot of those pressures on parts of all the pass rushers came off of blitzes. Uh, it doesn't feel like they have a, a guy who can just win on his own right now. And for them to really compete in the AFC, I think he or maybe Ojabo has to be that dude. I'm excited to see Ojabo too. Like he going back because obviously, like you said, we got little sample size of him towards the end yeah. of last season. He was the dude opposite agent Aiden Hutchinson with way more wiggle. Like when you look at a guy with that sort of like natural burst, lateral ability, Aiden Hutchinson is all the things that you know we stereotypically associate with white defensive ends or white pass rushers, like. David Ajabo really did have a lot more fluid movement ability. And so it it definitely feeds into what you're talking about, but that's the same. I mean, always also a freakish, incredible athlete. So both those guys are great picks. I, I flirted with going offensive line again, Ronnie Stanley and the health of that ankle, you know, over the course of a long season, we know last year it was coming back at the beginning, weaning him back slowly, all the things that, you know, were involved in that, especially in this offense. But I ended up going with Zay Flowers, like, I think based on what they really? wanted, what they want to do and what we have all been excited about since Todd Munkin was announced as the OC in bringing Lamar back was pushing the passing attack more vertically, doing that off some play action stuff. And while the Odell Beckham signing is great, and while some of the guys on that roster, like you know Duvernay and others that you know we we're hopeful can still do that, like Zay's the guy that's your speed threat, even if it's coming out of the slot. I think you can move him around a little bit more, but I just think that success for this team obviously is playoff runs, all the things that come with that. But post Lamar Jackson signing there, I think there is going to be something about seeing this offense develop the downfield passing attack in a way that we clamored for under Greg Roman. And so I think Zay is going to go a long way in that. And obviously that's a lot to ask of a rookie, but when you're picked that high, those are the expectations that come with it. And so I'm excited most for him because this is also one of those things that fits into a larger thing about the organization. Like you had them come out and admit we've done a bad job at drafting at the top of the draft when it comes to wide receivers. And so part of this is showing that you're better and that your evaluation of this position has improved enough to give you a chance. Yeah. It, it, I think it's a really good pick because for the Ravens, you are looking now at both this year and you know, I mean, just Lamar's, you know, got the five-year deal now. OPG is probably not going to be on this team next year, right? So, um, and part of me was like, well, you know, now they're stacked at wide receiver. The most dangerous words to ever say about the Ravens (laughs) offense. Like, I should be tranquilized for uttering those, you know. I'm like, oh, whatever. You know, if he's not good, you got Bateman, you got OBJ, you got Aguilar as your wide receiver three or four. No, you don't. You don't know that, Mina. Um so yeah, it, it, it's it's meaningful and like Flowers, um, he was he's not the only wide receiver in this draft, but of the top guys, he was the one with game breaking speed. He's the one that defenses like will have to account for. if if he um, you know plays meaningful snaps from the jump, and he will. I probably pretty quickly. Defenses are going to have to account for him on every play. He is that fast. He is that good at separating downfield. I mean, I've joked about this on the pod. Like he, he was often so open that he had to slow up for his. I don't even know who his quarterback was at BC. I can't remember. But um, the dude is open, and if he can be, he's not really like Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddle. He's he's weirdly kind of in between them to me. 
but and I don't I'm not saying I'm not comping them him necessarily that would be the amazing best case outcome but if he reaches that it completely changes the way defenses play the com the combination of what the Ravens can do in the run game with a guy who makes you defend the entire field is such a spatial mind f for defenses so if he is that this this defense this offense could be a top three i really believe that like they but they have to it all has to come together they all have to be healthy whatever but like what todd munkin is being given to work with and then what we've seen from him in the past in terms of his adaptability with different personnel there's the potential for something. I, I I feel like I'm being too, I'm hiding them too much. And I'm really, I want to be clear. I'm talking about potential here, but it is there. He made it look stet- sexy with Stetson Bennett at quarterback, like quarterback runs with that guy yeah. at the helm in the red zone opportunities, pushing the ball downfield. They're like, no, we're absolutely right to get our expectations sky high. It was the source of all of our anxiety around the will they won't they with Lamar Jackson. So no, I am saying Ravens fans, especially let's dream big on this one. And Zay flowers can be a part of it. Who do you have for the Steelers? Steelers. Steelers, so I was thinking about going outside at receiver and development in the second year for Kenny Pickett, but I want Isaac Suomalo. Like, offensive line's been the buzz conversation for so long, and you brought him over here to help solidify this. You picked offensive line at the top of the draft with Broderick Jones, too. Isaac is the adult in the room, right? You went and said, Philly's got the best in the league right now. Let's go take something from there and try and shore this thing up for all the other stuff that we do. So, yes, like George Pickens coming on and being the guy that can continue, you know, start to find ways to separate a little more consistently in addition to all the tough catches. All that stuff's great, but we've been talking about the Steelers' offensive line, I feel like, on a loop for a few years now, and I think he's been brought in to kind of be the reset at that position and help bring along the young guys, especially their for, you know, top pick this year. Yeah, I, I want Broderick Jones kind of the same thinking. Um, Steelers' offense, quietly good at the end of last season. Um, you know, I think I, I was impressed by what I saw from Kenny Pickett. I, he surpassed my expectations at the end of last year. I'm not saying he's like one of the best quarterbacks, but I'm just saying, um, <laughs> I thought he, I thought he, I thought he looked pretty good. I thought he, you know, he was, I thought played pretty well under pressure making plays, but, and, and that's with like a very dubious situation at tackle. So for me, yeah if they can really um, show some improvement there. And obviously, you know, he was, they traded up for him in the first round. Uh, this offense, I think, could be definitely above average, at least. I don't, I haven't quite thought through what exactly I think the ceiling is. And, you know, this is a team that was, that Mike Tomlin had knocking on the door of the playoffs, improbably, but inevitably, despite, um, injuries despite, you know, I mean, it was insane. So I, uh, to me, like if the offensive line plays a little bit better, they're going to be pesky, no well, doubt. And success is, 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 I, I, I think, you know, making it to the playoffs. No, absolutely. And you mentioned one of the other things, like you feel like you also kind of get half credit for drafting Darnell Washington too. that tight end room with him and Fryer is going to be fun, man. Like again, 
Washington was the combine darling and all that stuff. But dude is an absolute wall of humanity that walks yeah. in right on the end and immediately gets to help out there with those kind of packages too. So it's going to be a very interesting offense to watch. Like you said, most of that's born out of Kenny definitely looking the part for a lot of last year. But uh, I don't know, just some of those young pieces, definitely exciting. And I mean, who's not excited by watching Darnell Washington? He's like a moose playing tight end. So for the Browns, this is one word. So obviously quarterback, uh, I think the offense, if the quarterback even returns to 80% of what we saw in the past, the offense should be good. Uh, this is another one where I think coordinator is going to make a big difference on defense. Talked about this a little bit on NFL Live. Jim Schwartz, I think, is kind of an, you know, I know, maybe I'll talk about it. I have a podcast coming up where I think I can get into this a little bit. But from a player perspective, um, I I went with Dalvin Tomlinson, who was their big signing this offseason. This is a defense. It's funny because this is a very they're a very analytically driven organization, um, in in certain respects. And I think to that end, they were like, yeah, we don't have to invest in, in the defense, the interior of the defensive line. You know, it's fine. We're going to get edge rushers. We're going to get cornerbacks. We're going to spend our draft picks there. And it'll be fine because it doesn't really matter. Well, it mattered year after year after year, not year after year, but like <laughs> recently this Browns defense has just been undeniably soft up the gut. You, you know, it was inf infuriating at times to watch uh, how easy it was for teams to run on them, finish 28th in rush DVOA, 27th in EPA, EPA per play against a run last year. They got no push <laughs> uh, on the inside. So after kind of scrimping there for a while, they said, F it, we're just going to throw a lot of money at Dalvin Tomlinson. And uh, I think for this defense to be successful, it has to work out. Yeah, I do think interesting depth there, too. Now, it'll be interesting in, in that system. You're right, too. But uh, Ika Siaki, their third-round pick out of yeah. Baylor, is a mound of humanity. And sometimes you just need to solve your problem with beef. So Dalvin's absolutely got to shoulder that load. But also interesting depth at that spot, too. Because you're right, like, so very obviously a huge need for that team. Because, for me, success defi is defined this year by getting Deshaun Watson back on track, though. I do think Amari Cooper, like, I get that he still mm. had very quality numbers. But if you look at all of Deshaun's best seasons from Houston, it's when you had the very obvious D-hop answer to most of those questions. And while I'm not saying Amari Cooper is, De Amari Cooper is DeAndre Hopkins, I'm saying he has to be Cleveland's version of that as they try and meld these offenses to make it work and knowing that he's got to define a place to go with it, right? Like Donovan Peoples-Jones, some of the young guys that you've drafted, they're going to be other good answers and options, but it, it's got to be yeah. a big-time season from Amari Cooper if you're going to get Deshaun Watson comfortable again in that kind of offense. I really like this group. Tillman, I thought, was yeah. a great pick for them. Different skill set from, you know, he was, we talked about before the draft, like one of the true boundary yep. receivers in this draft. Trading for Elijah Moore slot makes a ton of sense, but I only like the group if Cooper plays to his potential. And then, and with those guys in the, the places that they're in, suddenly it's like, oh my god, this could be a really good group. But Amari Cooper, you know, like he he's he's such a funny guy. Like who would I compare? He's almost like Anthony Davis. <laughs> I don't know. That's actually a very uh, hot button topic right now. Yeah. Um, there are just moments where I'm like, oh, you're one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. Like he, you know, he. 
he, he can play, he, he can be, he has such a complete skill set and at times is so dominant. And then he does, there's moments where he disappears. I mean, he was so good last year, even with the stuff at quarterback. And yeah, I mean, if he, he's a good proxy for QB. We talked about yeah. this last week because if he is really, really good, it probably means that Watson has gotten back to playing at a high level too. And um, yeah, for, I, by the way, for me, success for the Browns, yeah, I would say playoffs is definitely um, something that you'd want. Like it should be under consideration, but you can't, that investment in the quarterback can't look like it did last year. Like, so say, you're probably right. That's Deshaun probably a better Watson's got to look like a top 10 quarterback for you to feel good again yeah. this season, right? Like he's got to yes. be in that yes. range or else you start to panic. Yes, he's the highest paid quarterback in football and you can't get out of the deal ever. Okay, let's wrap with the Cincinnati Bengals. So I kind of teased this, my view of it, when I was talking about the Chiefs defense and, and what they've done. Um, who did you pick for the Bengals? Um, so I, this, another one, like I, for some reason, loved picking guys that were coming off injury, but I do think like Chidobia woozy and what ends up pick. kind of working that as a proxy for a secondary that lost their safeties. Like obviously with, you know, big Lou in that defense, he's going to have to be the one who steps up. Cause I think Cam Taylor Britt's going to be opposite him. So second year guy trying to make the jump, like a woozy has got to be the dude on that back end. And then, you know, it's who you're thinking about facing, all those matchup-specific things. I just think in a secondary that got dealt a lot of change, he's got to be a guy. And I know, again, coming off that ACL injury, that's a big factor in all of this, but he's got to step up and be a big playmaker for them. Yeah, I was just Googling his age because um, this is a very young group. Mm -hmm. And, and Nick, Nick Scott's the same age, and he has experienced the Rams. But, you know, I mean, I, I think – he was really good during their playoff run as a free safety. I don't view him as like uh, the centerpiece of the secondary. Um, you'd want Dax Hill, who was their yeah. you know, draft pick last year, to to be that dude. But Awuzie, if he doesn't return to the level of pre-injury play, it's hard for me to see this secondary coming together because it is so young and so inexperienced. Um, and it's, it's man, big Lou's got his work cut out for him. I think the pass rush will be good. You know, I like the miles Murphy pick. I like him in the context of this defensive line a lot. Linebackers still strong on this team, but this is some pretty significant turnover on the back end. And it's interesting, Mike, because this is a defense that a couple years ago, or maybe three years ago, is when they really rebuilt it in free agency, which almost never works, but they hit on like literally every signing. Yeah. And maybe some of that is a lot of it is probably Lou Anarumo, but like think about the guys that they added Trey Hendrickson, Vaughn Bell from New Orleans, DJ Reader from Houston. Like it, it just felt like they, it was like everything clicked. And now, that Bell's gone. Bates is gone. You know, um, we'll see if they bring back Eli Apple. But yeah. it's kind of like the Chiefs where and you're about to pay your quarterback and you're about to pay both those wide receivers. You need young players to hit. That's why I went Dax Hill, just because I think they need him to hit for this to be sustainable. But in the short term, they need a Wouzier to play really well. So you can, you know, choose your pick your guy in the secondary. But um, I think it's going to be 
in terms of like what determines the success of a bang, this Bengals team, I don't care. The offense will be fine. <laughs> it's right. really going to come down to some of these guys in the defense. I guess that's the thing is like you could in theory have like talked about offensive line here and said there's a lot of pressure on Orlando Brown Jr. because they paid him money. But like Joe Burrow's gone out every year and just gotten hit a bunch and it doesn't matter. So I think Brown will be good too in this offense. And yeah, they'll they'll be fine. Um, All right. Well, that is it. Those are our picks. I really appreciate you joining me to go through them. We had a few of the same ones, a lot of different ones. I think I picked more offensive linemen than you, which is a little bit surprising, probably the only upset. Um, but as always, you guys got to go check out Mike's podcast and Mike, um, I'll probably see you for the team draft. Uh, I don't want to see the results from last year. Yeah. Oh, I cannot wait. Mina, it is always a pleasure. And I am looking forward to seeing what rule changes you have in sort of trying to game the system. <laughs> the only draft that will have more changes or the only league that will have more changes than the NFL has rule wise this year will be the Mina Kime show featuring Lenny <laughs> team draft for 2023. You know, got to change the times. Wow.